This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. At the half hour, we'll have a visit from the staff at Madison High when Eve Arden comes by with all the usual gang. But first, it's a walk on the dark side as we listen to another episode of the scary series Inner Sanctum. The program's familiar and famed audio trademark was the eerie creaking door which opened and closed the broadcasts. Now, Hyman Brown got the idea from a door in the basement that squeaked like hell, in his words— the door sound was actually made by a rusty desk chair. The program did originally intend to use the door, but on its first use, the door did not creak. Undaunted, Brown grabbed a nearby chair, sat on it, and turned, causing a hair-raising squeak. The chair was used from then on as the sound prop. On at least one memorable occasion, a staffer innocently repaired and oiled the chair, thus forcing the sound man to mimic the squeaky door orally. But let's now hear the episode, Death Demon. Inner Sanctum Mysteries, brought to you by Bromo Seltzer. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. This is your host inviting you through the gory portals of the squeaking door for another soiree with some super-duper supernatural personality. And if you've never met a super-duper supernatural personality, aren't you the lucky one? Because they're devitalized people, usually somewhat dead with transparent complexions and morbid imaginations. Would you like to become one? You won't have to worry about the high cost of living. And you'll never have to worry about dying, because once you're dead, that little matter will take care of itself. <laughs> but, uh, why don't I become one? I've got news for you. I am. <laughs> Tonight's Inner Sanctum Mystery, Death Demon, was written by Milton Lewis and stars Everett Sloan in the role of Howard with Anne Seymour as Gilda. All right, friend. Let's stop all this ghoulishness and let's get grim. Hmm? Now remember our rule. Don't jump out of the window unless it's open. <laughs> Ready now. Then listen as Howard Ryan tells us his strange story. 
The wind was rising when I returned to Greystone Farms late that night. The house with its Victorian gables and towers looked like a clawing hand reaching into the scudding clouds. I went directly to my room, even though the living room was lit up. I had no desire to see my stepmother or the man she had married. The moment I got into my room and turned on the light, I gasped. My things had been disturbed. Many of them were gone. I ran down to the living room. Come in, Howard. We want to talk to you. I looked at this young woman, not more than ten years older than myself, whom I called mother. In the flickering firelight, she looked more beautiful than ever. But he was there, too. And I felt his voice cut across the room. You needn't stare at her like that, Howard. She didn't take those things out of your room. Who did, sir? I did. Please stop this absurd trick of calling me sir. Do you like it or not? I'm your stepfather. I'm sorry, sir, but my manner of addressing you is the politest I could think of. Please, Howard. Where are the things you took out of my room, sir? Here. You have no right to take them. I told him to. You? For your own good, Howard. We were worried about you. Were you really? You've been ill. You know what the doctor said. What we found in your room justified all our fears. How long have you been reading these... these horrid books? Ever since my father was murdered. What do you expect to get out of them? Perhaps, sir. I expected to find some way of reaching my father. You know that's nonsense. Is it? Books on witchcraft, necromancy, morbid rubbish. I gave you credit for more intelligence, Howard. This brooding about your father might destroy your mind. And why should you care about that, mother? Because, because, well, I'm fond of you, Howard. I'm not your real mother, I know, but I tried to be one to you when your father was alive. I want to help you now. Help? Then why don't you try to find out who murdered my father two years ago? The police are doing everything they can. You think I've stopped trying? Yes, Mother. I don't believe you even care who murdered your former husband. All you care about is him. Now, see here, Howard. It's true. I know it. I'm not a fool. The only reason you permit me to stay in this house is because my father's will compels you to take care of me, or you wouldn't have a penny of income. Howard, you're hysterical. Can't you see what these books have done to you? Perhaps you'd like to see what they've done for me, sir. What are you talking about? This morbid nonsense. What if I tell you that some of those things are true? They can't be. Someday I'll be able to talk to my father and find out who murdered him in his sleep. Perhaps I might be able to do it right now. Right now? You're frightened? You wouldn't like to see him again. This man you loved so deeply that you remarried a year after his death. Stop it, Hart. Stop it. And you're frightened too, aren't you, sir? And with good reason. I don't think you'd care to meet this man whose wife you stole. Hart. Would you like to see him? I'm not afraid. Then perhaps... I shall make him appear. What are you saying, Howard? Do you know where I was all day, Mother? At my father's grave. And look, this earth. I brought some of it back. This earth that's now mingled with his remains. Listen. That's Dane. My father's dog. 
Animals know when the dead are near. This time it will work, I'm sure. The signs are right. What, what are you going to do? Throw this earth into the fire and follow an ancient ritual to set loose the chained spirits of the dead. There! How did you see how the flames leap up, Mother? The lightning struck that tree and knocked a branch through the window. You're wrong. It's my father. Father! Where are you? They didn't believe me, but I knew that at that moment my father came back to this earth. They were terrified, both of them, though they tried not to show it. That night I went to my room, listened to the storm howl itself out, but there was no further sign of my father. I must have slept, perhaps dreamed, because I heard a voice I hadn't heard in two years. I recognized it, still thick with the accent he had acquired from his boyhood in Europe. My son, my son, wake up and find the person who murdered me. Wake up, my son, wake up. The next thing I knew, I was rubbing my eyes. My room was full of mist, tinted a strange yellow gold by the murky moonlight that filtered through the windows. My father's dog, Dane, was tugging at my legs. He was trying to lead me out of the room. I followed him through the halls of that huge silent house to my father's study. It had been locked up since he died, and no one ever used it since. But when I tried to handle this night, the door opened as though being pulled by some unknown force. Mist and moonlight crept into the study, lit the dust and cobwebs and shadowy furnishings with an eerie light. And then something crashed. A broken vase with a tiny key among its fragments lay on the floor. It might have been Dane who knocked over that vase, but I don't think so. I picked up the key... The moment I had it in my hand, I remembered a scene from my childhood. I had secretly observed my father remove a book from one of the cases, take out this tiny key and open a hidden panel in the bookcase. Like a man in a dream, I repeated the action. I removed the book, and there was the secret panel. I opened it with the key. There was nothing in it. But a few large notebooks. I took them out, opened one, and by the flickering yellow light of my match, my father came back to me. In this journal, I record thoughts that if they remain unexpressed, might drive me mad. I know now that my wife, Gilda, is seeing another man. I know his name, Dale Barton. Howard! Howard, open the door. Please! What do you want, Mother? 
Just to see you. I've been worried about you. Really? Why? You've been locked in this room for the last two days. Here, I have brought you some food. Thank you. Where is your husband? He had to drive to town. Howard, you can't go on like this. You love him very much, don't you? I wouldn't have married him if I didn't. You love him more than you love my father? Please, there's no point in discussing this. Your father's dead, and that's all past. Not quite dead. In fact, he's very close to us at this moment. Close? Yes. So close that he can reach out and touch you. Howard, let go of my hand. You don't believe me, Mother. This is all nonsense. Is it? What would you do if I told you that my father is holding your hand this very minute? What would you do if I told you that he has taken possession of my body? Howard, you're ill. You don't know what you're saying. Did you know Dale Barton before my father was murdered? No. I only met him after your father died. You lie. That, that's his voice. You have been seeing Dale Barton for months. I know. I followed you. No. No. I talked to you about it the day before I died. You swore he meant nothing to you. Let go of me. Let go. Did you kill me? No. No. Answer me. Did you murder me? You once said you hated me. Let go of me. Please. You said you loved me even on the day I was murdered. You're hurting me. Did you murder me? Was it because of him? Tell me. Help me. He's going to murder me. Help me. Stop me. Crazy fool, what's going on here? Dale, help me. He wants to kill me. Howard, let go. No, he's mine. No, no. Dale. Oh, Dale. Come, Gilda. I'll take you out of here. He led her out of the room while I lay on the floor. Had she murdered my father? Had he? I knew at last I had the means of finding out. There were thick vines outside my window, and late that night, as I had often done when I was a boy, I carefully, quietly climbed down them, stopping at a point outside their window. I clung to the wall like a bat, and I heard them talking. Did you hear his voice? You don't actually believe. I don't know what to believe. He looks so much like his father. When he sees me, he spoke to me. It was his father. Julia, you're being foolish about this. Am I? On the day William was murdered, Howard was away at college. How could he have known what we talked about? And he did know. That boy seemed to know every word. That boy, or is he his father? Fielder, do you know what you're saying? Yes, this isn't an ordinary thing. There's nothing you can do about it. Oh, yes, there is. I climbed back to my room to think. I dared not go to sleep because I knew my father had been murdered in his sleep. And if they had murdered him, they'd certainly have an excellent reason to kill me. I thought of running away, but then I would never find out. I know now why I couldn't run away. My father within me was holding me there. I lay down on my bed to rest. And then suddenly, I found myself dreaming. Dreaming that a pair of powerful hands were clutching at my throat. 
I struggled, gasped for breath, tried to scream. I was being murdered in my sleep just as my father was. I clawed at those iron fingers, clawed at those hands that were cutting off my life. And then I opened my eyes and discovered that it was not a nightmare. I hadn't been dreaming. It was real. I was being murdered. Well, friend, your breathing spell is over. Now it's time to lose your breath again, so let's get back to our story. Now, what did we do with the call? Oh, yes. We were interrupted while we were making one. And if you remember, the corpse belonged to Howard Ryan, the young man who was telling us this story. He had just discovered that his dream had come true, and someone was choking him to death. That's a nice way to wake up from sleep, isn't it? But let's have Howard tell us what happened. My eyes focused through the haze, and I recognized Dale, my stepfather. They were his hands that were around my neck. Suddenly I heard Dale bark. And the door flew open, and like a writhing cannon shell, the dog flew through the air at the throat of my stepfather. A moment later, I felt his hands release me as he shouted up him. Go on, Howard. Just kill me. I'll kill you. For a moment, I did nothing. I knew I wanted him to die. But I still wasn't sure if he had killed my father. I suppose I was a fool, but I yelled. Dane, stop it. Down, Dane, down. Here, Dane. Come here. Who worked in the door? I want to get out of here. Not yet. Why? Are you going to turn that dog loose on me again? Perhaps. You want to kill me? You tried to kill me. Kill you? Have you lost your mind completely? I woke up with your hands around my throat. You're insane. I was trying to pick you up from the floor. You're lying! I'm not! I heard you moaning and screaming, and I came up to see what was wrong. I found you on the floor. You were having a nightmare. Was I? Of course. Why should I want to kill you? Because I may find out how you murdered my father. What he said could have been true. I had had little sleep for a long time, and his attack on me could have been a nightmare. I could never be certain. But to protect myself, I kept a gun with me at all times. I read and reread the journals of my father, which I had found. More and more often, it was his voice that came out of my mouth, his thoughts that filled my mind. And then came the night when I found out the truth. Good evening, Howard. What are you doing in my room, sir? I came to have a talk with you. Dane! Dane! There's no use calling for your dog. You'll never see him again. What did you do with him? That should have been done long ago. What? What have you got there? A knife. It's quite sharp. Quite suited to the purpose I intended for. You came to kill me. Did my mother put you up to this? No. As a matter of fact, your stepmother is in town right now. We two are quite alone. I see. You've always hated me, haven't you, Howard? Yes, sir. I suppose you can't help it. Your stepmother's a very beautiful woman. She has nothing to do with us. Makes very little difference. The fact of the matter is that you become dangerously psychopathic. 
I want you to know that I've taken steps to have you confined. Oh, so that's the game, sir. You're going to kill me and tell the authorities you were protecting yourself from a homicidal maniac. I'm glad you're aware of your disadvantages. But you're not aware of yours. A gun. Did you murder my father? Are you going to... Did you kill me? Who? Who's speaking? Answer me. Did you murder me? Who are you? What are you? Answer me. If I'll answer you, I'll kill you. Don't. Speak before you die. Did you murder me in my sleep? I have got to know. Now. Murder you. Did you... Did you? But he never spoke again. My father, using my body, had murdered him. Howard, have you seen Dale? Yes, Mother. Where is he? Come in. He's in here. Howard, you... You murdered him? Yes, when he tried to throw that knife at me, you see, he still has it in his hand. Howard! Don't! Try to get away. Let me out of here. No, Mother. And don't call me Mother. You're no son of mine. You're a murderer. Yes, Mother, but less of a murderer than you are. At least I killed in self-defense. Not when my victim was asleep, helpless, and unaware of danger. Let me out of here. No, you're going to stay. (gasps) Yes, this gun. The same gun I used to murder your husband. Stay just where you are. Why? Because I want you to see this man who succeeded my father. This creature whom you love. Look at him there, mother. Twisted grotesquely into the whining coward he proved himself to be in death. Look at him. This is the man you gave up my father for. This is the man you committed murder for. Let me go. Now, look. This is the man who used his last breath to betray you. Betray me? Yes. How? He said that you killed my father. I? Yes. It's a lie. Is it, Gilda? William. Is it? Yes, I... I didn't murder you. I mean to know the truth. Do not think this is some trick played by my son... I am William. I know things which only you and I in all the world know. Stop it. Tell me the truth. Don't point that gun at me. Your only chance is to tell me the truth. Will you, will you let me live? It will depend on what you tell me. And why should I tell you? Because I am your husband who once loved and trusted you, Lilla. Tell me. Tell me now or you will die. Very well. I... I did it. I committed the murder. That's what you wanted to hear, isn't it? That's what you wanted me to tell you, isn't it? That is what I wanted to know. What are you going to do? What do you think I should do? Let, let me live. I've loved you. I've, I've always loved you. It, it wasn't my fault. He put me up to it. Now that he's dead, I, I realize what I've done. Do you? Yes. Let me live. Let me live. Perhaps I shall, Mother. Howard. Oh, you... You understand, don't you? It's just as it happened with you and your father. So it happened with Dale and myself. You, you won't do anything to me, will you? I'm not your real mother, I know, but but I have loved you, Howard. You know I've loved you, and I still love you. Tell me one thing. 
Was he as guilty as you? Yes. Yes, it, it was really all his fault. Then come with me, Gilda. We're going to the police. And that's what happened, Inspector. She finally confessed. And I brought her here. Have you anything to say, ma'am? Yes, Inspector. Well? Everything I told my stepson, every word of my confession was a lie. Mother! This boy's insane. He's been out of his mind ever since his father was murdered. I only made that confession to humor him and save my life. And I can prove what I say. More than one doctor has found him unbalanced. I believe you, ma'am. Inspector, you... You... You can't! This woman murdered my father! She told me! We know who murdered your father, son. It was not this woman. He picked up a man yesterday. He confessed. Gave us all the details. They all checked with the evidence. His name is Ralph Stone. Criminal with a long record. And he murdered your father for money. Then... Then it... It wasn't my mother. No, it wasn't your stepmother, no. But it was her husband, Dale Burton. We learned that he hired this Ralph Stone to commit the murder. Then I was right. My father knew what he was doing when he made me pull that trigger. I wonder, son. Because you're under arrest for murder. I kept telling them that I didn't murder Dale Barton. I didn't pull that trigger. It, it was my father who murdered him. They don't believe me. But it has to be right, you see. How could father have known Dale was guilty without supernatural knowledge? My father still lives inside of me. And sometimes he talks. <laughs> well, friend, there's nothing wrong with little old Howard. Just a little bit nuts, but who isn't? Hmm? And how'd you like someone to possess you someday? Just think, you could lead a double life for the price of a single. In fact, you may be able to save money because, as everybody knows, two can live cheaper than one. Which brings us to the moral of tonight's story, taken from the croonings of Nature Girl, who warbles, Don't drop dead except in bed, otherwise you can break your head. <laughs> well. It's time to close that squeaking door for another seven-day rest. Until next week at this time, when Bromo Seltzer brings you another Inner Sanctum Mystery, directed by Hyman Brown. Oh, by the way, this month's Inner Sanctum Mystery novel is Report for a Corpse, by Henry Kane. Next week's tale is titled, Death is a Magician. A guy loses his girl, loses his mind... And meets a magician named Marco. Now, Marco makes an easy mark of our hero. And in turn, our hero uses Marco for target practice in a marathon murder. 
Marco, you see, just won't stay dead. <laughs> Sound scramble. See us next Monday, friends, and we guarantee to scramble you some, too. Until then, good night. Pleasant this is Dwight Weist inviting you to tune in again next Monday at the same time to Inner Sanctum which is brought to you for your entertainment every Monday right through the summer by This is CBS, where 99 million people gather every week, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for Our Miss Brooks, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now to check out the shenanigans on Our Miss Brooks. Mr. Conklin's Wake-Up Plan is the name of the episode. Mustard cream shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair, and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. Bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. once again for Eve Arden in another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks, written by Al Lewis. Well, for most of us, it's considerably harder to get up early on winter mornings than it is during the summer. But this isn't the case with Our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School. Maybe I'm just being perverse, but if I found it any harder to get up early in the winter than I do in the summer, I'd sleep right through the spring. <laughs> That's why Mrs. Davis, my landlady, had such a time waking me last Thursday morning. Connie. Get up, Connie. Go away, Mrs. Davis. Come on now. You told me yourself that you wanted to get up at 6.30 sharp. I was lying. <laughs> I can't understand what makes you so difficult to wake up. Oh, it must be because of my dream. Your dream? Yes, I dreamt I was out very late last night. Oh. You did go out with Mr. Boynton last night, didn't you? I had dinner with the bashful one, yes. Was it an exciting evening, Connie? It was a rip snorter. <laughs> when we got to the front door, Mr. Boynton apologized for keeping me out until the wee small hours. What time was it, Connie? Five minutes of ten. <laughs> of course, by the time he got finished saying goodnight, the way he says it, it was considerably later. What time was it then? Four minutes of ten. <laughs> well, I'd better take my shower and get dressed, Mrs. Davis. All right, Connie. Mr. Boynton isn't the most romantic fellow in the world, is he? So far, Cary Grant has nothing to worry about. <laughs> well, this coffee was very good, Mrs. Davis. Oh, I'm glad you like it, Connie. Do you know what I put into the coffee grounds to get that flavor? Don't tell me. I want another cup first. <laughs> there we are. You want some? No, thanks. I've been thinking about Mr. Bonington all morning. Why, Mrs. Davis, don't tell me I've got competition. Oh, competition? Oh, of course not, Connie. Why, I'm old enough to be both your mothers. Oh, now, please, Mrs. Davis, you mustn't split up over us. <laughs> oh, that must be Walter Denton. I can tell because there's still some food on the breakfast table. I'll get it. All right, Connie. I'm going out in the yard for a few minutes. I've got to try to fix that incinerator. The incinerator? What's the matter with it? It caught on fire the other day. <laughs> I'll tell you about it when I come back. 
should be interesting. You're right there. Good morning, Walter. Correction, Miss Brooks. It's a wonderful morning. A delicious morning. A morning dripping with ecstasy. Well, trickle in, happy boy. (laughs) What are you celebrating, Walter? Was Madison High swept out to sea by a tidal wave? Uh, Of course not, Miss Brooks. It's me that's being carried along by a tidal wave. A tidal wave of emotion unprecedented in one of my tender years. It's as if I'd discovered a hidden wellspring in the core of my being. You'll find a blotter in the hall closet. (laughs) Now, come on into the dinette. I was just finishing a cup of coffee. Oh, I'd be happy to join you in a bit of breakfast, Miss Brooks. Sit down, Walter. How about a glass of milk? Uh, A glass of milk and a few pieces of coffee cake will be fine, thanks. Hmm. I'm glad you brought your beaming face over so early today. Maybe you can loan me a pint or two of ecstasy. What's it all about? Well, it's Harriet, Miss Brooks. I'm really in solid with her, and all because of a fortunate accident that happened yesterday afternoon. What kind of an accident? Well, yesterday after school, she was in the garage looking for a tennis racket, and her father's car was in the way. Now, you know how finicky old Marblehead is about the... (laughs) Mr. Conklin is about his car. (laughs) I know he doesn't let anyone drive it. Drive it? He doesn't let anybody come within six feet of it if he can help it. He even parks it himself in parking lots. Why, I've heard him boast that since the day he bought it, his car has been untouched by human hands. How does he get it lubricated? And if you say by grease monkeys, I'll take away that cake. Oh, no, he does it himself, Miss Brooks. So you can imagine how nervous Harriet got when she tried to back it up a few feet in the garage and the wheels were turned too sharply and bang, she put a neat dent in the fender. That's when I got the inspiration that will forever endear me to Harriet Conklin. What did you do, smuggle her out of the country? (laughs) No, Miss Brooks. I decided to take the rap for what she'd done. Instead of obeying my normal, natural impulse to run like a crook, I decided to face Mr. Conklin and take the blame. Walter, Mr. Conklin isn't too fond of you as it is. I'll say he isn't. He can't stand the sight of me. Miss Brooks, I was inspired. So I went around to the front of the house. I strode boldly up the porch steps and faced Mr. Conklin's face, face to face. In the picture, let's face it. <laughs> Sir, I said, you're not going to like this, but the fender of your car has just been dented. And it was I, Walter Denton, who did the Denton. <laughs> You've been reading too much Ogden Nash. What did Mr. Conklin say to that, Walter? He said, Denton, I admire your honesty. That's all he said? Not another word, not another syllable. He just extended his hand and shoved me down the steps. (laughs) I knew there was some sort of punctuation. (laughs) But as I landed in the yard below, I felt a warm glow spreading around my heart. I questioned the geographical accuracy of that remark. (laughs) No, it's the truth, Miss Brooks. I saw a look in Harriet's eyes she helped me up that seemed to say, Walter Denton, I am forever your slave. And you know something, Miss Brooks? That system would work for you, too. But, Walter, I can't be your slave. The Board of Education has a priority. (laughs) No, I'm talking about Mr. Boynton. Now, if you want to get in solid with him, all you've got to do is just what I did. 
What, let Mr. Conklin shove me down the steps? No, Miss Brooks, take the rap for some jam that Mr. Boynton gets into. But Mr. Boynton doesn't get into any jams. How could I possibly take any raps for him? Maybe a jam could be arranged for Mr. Boynton. Mrs. Davis. <laughs> I couldn't help but hear your conversation, Connie. You couldn't? No, I had my ear to the keyhole. <laughs> Walter, I want you to know that I think you've got a wonderful idea there. Oh, thanks, Mrs. Davis. Now... It shouldn't be too tough to figure out a way to get Mr. Boynton into some kind of trouble in school. Then you could take the blame for him, and he'd be so grateful, he wouldn't know what to do for you first. But I bet you could tell him. <laughs> but that would be framing a perfectly innocent man. But it's for his own good, Connie. He's just too shy to realize that you two were meant for each other. Now, it's quite early yet, so before you start out for school, let's all sit quietly and try to figure out the best possible scheme. Swell. We'll all concentrate. I've got it. What is it? I'll borrow Mr. Boynton's cigarette lighter and leave it in the principal's office as evidence. His cigarette lighter? What good would that do? Oh, I forgot to tell you. First, I'd set fire to Mr. Conklin. <laughs> and plenty of time for me to try out the Walter Denton plan for obtaining the gratitude of the object of one's affection. Or as Walter so romantically put it, get him in the jam, take the rap, and you got him in your pocket. <laughs> anyway, I headed directly for Mr. Boynton's biology lab. And knowing that Mr. Conklin's disposition wouldn't be improved any by the dent in his fender, I glided very carefully past his office. But I guess I wasn't careful enough. Miss Brooks. Whoops. <laughs> Morning, Mr. Conklin. On our toes this morning, aren't we? Yes, we are. Especially you. It's just that I didn't want to disturb you, sir. Very considerate of you. Now, if you don't mind, Miss Brooks, you can put your shoes on and step into my office. <laughs> there we are. Have a seat. Thank you, sir. As you know, Miss Brooks, I have high blood pressure. Yes, sir, I know. Sometimes when you get excited, your face gets so red, it looks like uh, a little... Oh, never mind. <laughs> never mind the little word pictures, Miss Brooks. I know how I look when I get excited. What I wanted to tell you is that I saw you stepping out of Walter Denton's car this morning. Oh? I see you stepping out of Denton's car almost every morning when you come to school, and it rather fascinates me. What does? Well, you see, sometimes I park my car right in front of school. Sometimes a few yards to the right of it, and sometimes halfway down the block. But do you know something, Miss Brooks? No matter where I park it, Denton always manages to pull up alongside of it so that when you get out of his car, you have to slide your body the entire length of my car, making nick after nick in the paint job! I'm terribly sorry, Mr. Conklin. I had no idea I was so abrasive. <laughs> Well, it's not deliberate, I'm sure. But every third Sunday when I Simonize my car, I, uh, <laughs> I find a little nick here, a little nick there, here a scratch, there a scrape. Everywhere a scratch scrape. <laughs> I mean, I can understand your being annoyed, Mr. Conklin, but... I'm glad. You see, Miss Brooks, to me, a man's car is a most personal possession. 
As personal, you might say, as his toothbrush. Well, in the future, Mr. Conklin, you can rest assured that I'll make every effort not to bump into your toothbrush. That's hard. <laughs> Thanks, Miss Brooks. Oh, before you go, there's one more thing. Yes? Make a little effort to avoid bumping into Mr. Boynton so often, too. You know how I stand on fraternization between faculty members. Mr. Boynton and me? Why, just put it out of your mind, Mr. Conklin. That's a thing of the past. Oh, really? Of course. Why, if I were the only woman in the world and Mr. Boynton was the last man on earth... Yes, Miss Brooks? I'd like to leave a call for Tuesday. <laughs> so you see, Mr. Boynton, although I don't like to lecture, these little visits have just got to stop. That's all there is to it. But why, Miss Brooks? I, I like your dropping into my lab like this. Well, that's the end of that lecture. Any questions? <laughs> oh, honestly, I don't see why Mr. Conklin's so strict about teachers passing the time of day once in a while. What harm does it do? Well, it does slow up our work some, I suppose. Although I haven't anything urgent to do at the moment. In fact, I was just doodling on this scratch pad. You see, it's a sketch of one of my white mice. Say, that's very cute. How is everything with you, Mr. Boynton? Fine, Miss Brooks. No trouble on the horizon at all? That is, everything sailing along smoothly for you? Smooth as silk. Oh. Let me have that mouse you just drew hmm? and that pencil. Thanks. Now, when I put this little mustache on him, who does it remind you of? Well, gee, I don't know. Here, I'll give you a hint. There. Well, when you put his name on it, it does look quite a bit like Mr. Conklin. <laughs> Say, that reminds me. I've got some reports to turn into him this morning. Oh, I'll do it for you. I'm going right by his office. Are you sure it's no trouble? Trouble? It's my opportunity. I mean, I'll be glad to leave these reports for you. <laughs> See you later, Mr. Boynton. All right, Miss Brooks, and thanks. Now I'd better tear up that drawing with Osgood Conklin's name on it, or he might... Well, that's funny. It disappeared. Oh, Miss Brooks, just a minute. What is it? Uh, did you happen to pick up that drawing I... Miss Brooks, what's that you're stuffing in the envelope with my reports? Please, Mr. Boynton, I never stuff. Let's see that a minute. <laughs> but, Mr. Boynton, if you don't get reports in promptly to Mr. Conklin, he gets furious. Miss Brooks, look at this picture. Eek, a mouse. <laughs> yes, and with a mustache. Now, I, I wish you'd tell me what he's doing in there with my reports. Maybe there's some cheese in the envelope. <laughs> This is no laughing matter, Miss Brooks. I could have gotten into a fine jam with Mr. Conklin. Yes, it could have been a beauty. Uh, but there's no harm done, Mr. Boynton. I would have discovered it before I got to Mr. Conklin's office, and I... Well, you don't think I intentionally... Mr. Boynton, how dare you accuse me of what I just did? <laughs> way over here, Miss Brooks. I just saw Mr. Boynton at the other end of the cafeteria. Well, if you must know, Harriet, I'm staying away from Mr. Boynton because of your father. Oh, Daddy won't be up to the cafeteria today. He's been terribly upset since I dented his fender yesterday. Walter Denton took the blame for it, though. He's just an angel, Miss Brooks. Yes, I heard he flew down the steps beautifully. <laughs> but ever since it happened, Daddy's been on a rampage. He's positive he's got an ulcer. Really? Can he afford one? I mean, I'm sorry to hear it. Daddy called the cafeteria a little while ago and had them prepare a special lunch for him to eat in his office. Plain broth and a whole boiled chicken. Walter's bringing the tray over from the steam table now. I promised Daddy I'd bring it right down to his office. Well, here we are, Harriet. This ought to stop the old lion from growling for his vittles. 
Oh, hiya, Miss Brooks. Hello, Walter. Thanks, Walter. I'll rush it right down to him. Oh, just a minute, Harriet. I was just thinking. I've got to go back to my room for a minute. Why don't you stay here and eat your own lunch and let me take the tray for you? Well, well, that's very nice of you, Miss Brooks. Oh, it's nothing at all, Harriet. Here, give me the tray, Walter. Are you sure you'll drop it right in Daddy's office? Nothing would give me greater pleasure. (laughs) Walter, will you walk out of the cafeteria with me for a moment? Oh, sure, Miss Brooks. Excuse me, Harriet. Certainly, Walter, dear. See how nice she is to me. How are you doing, Miss Brooks? Think of any way to get Mr. Boynton into a jam? I think I've got an idea, Walter, but you've got to help me. Yeah? While he's out, I want you to take this tray into Mr. Boynton's laboratory. Just put a little note on it saying compliments of the cafeteria. And whatever you do, don't mention this to Harriet. Yeah, but, Miss Brooks, this lunch belongs to Miss... Quiet, Walter. His office is just a few doors down the hall. You started me on this thing. Now the least you can do is cooperate. Well, okay, Miss Brooks. I'll put it in the lab right away. But I sure hope you know what you're doing. I sure hope you get your hope. Well, what is it? May I see you for a moment, Mr. Conklin? Oh, come in, come in. Uh, There's something I'd like to tell you, sir. Very well, but be brief. Oh, I will. I know this is your feeding time, or lunchtime. (laughs) It is past my lunchtime. The tray I ordered should have been here a half an hour ago. Well, that's what I came in to talk to you about. It might be some sort of a prank, and although I'm not the one to go in for informing, Mr. Prank? Who took my lunch? I don't know, I'm sure. But I thought if you wanted me to, I could inspect some of the laboratories, uh, classrooms, and see who the the guilty party might be. A splendid suggestion, Miss Brooks. Only instead of you inspecting the classrooms, I'll do it myself. Yourself? Oh, but you're not a well man, Mr. Conklin. You you can't leave this office now. Uh, Step aside, Miss Brooks. I'm going to locate my lunch or else. I'm glad you got to class before any of the others, Walter. I'm in the spot. Yeah, but Miss Brooks... When I had you put that lunch tray in Mr. Boynton's lab, I wanted him to see it before I transferred it to my room and told Mr. Conklin that somebody had played a prank on me. Yeah, I know, Miss Brooks, But Mr. Conklin insisted on making the rounds himself, and now... Walter, isn't that the lunch tray on my desk? Yeah, that's what I've been trying to explain, Miss Brooks. Mr. Boynton already had lunch, so when he found it in the lab, he brought it down here to your room. He said he wanted to treat you. Oh, fine. Well, there's no time for any more schemes now. I'd better sneak his lunch into Mr. Conklin's office while he's out looking. Oh, there's something else I've got to explain, Miss Brooks. Although Mr. Boynton had his lunch and I knew you'd had yours, I didn't have mine. So rather than take a chance of getting caught in the hall with it, I ate it. Let's see it. Oh, there's nothing left but a skeleton. I've got to get rid of this tray immediately. Quick, Walter, open the window. I'll take these dishes and lower them out. Just a moment, Miss Brooks. (laughs) What's that you're holding in your hand? For all practical purposes, my death warrant. (laughs) You see, Mr. Conklin... Silence! I... (laughs) Put it down on your desk, please. Thank you. So you wanted to hunt through the classrooms yourself, eh? A very clever red herring, Miss Brooks, but it just didn't work. I'll deal with you later, of course. But for now, I'll just take my lunch. And... My lunch? What happened to it? This chicken is nothing but skin and bones. He's been working very hard lately. (laughs) Please, Mr. Conklin, I'll explain it all later. I'll think of something. Uh, Just go to your office and relax. Why, I'll bring you a tray that'll make you feel like a million dollars. There's only one thing I want you to bring me on a tray, Miss Brooks. And that's your head! 
over, Mr. Boynton. I thought this day would never end. Well, me too. Mr. Conklin was in a pretty bad mood, wasn't he? I can't understand it. He's got such a fine teaching staff, you'd think he'd be happy. Well, here's my car, Miss Brooks. Uh, if you haven't made any other plans, or, well, that is, I, I thought maybe if, uh, if you didn't have a ride with some other, well, uh, what would, would you like me to, uh... I'm already in, Mr. Boynton. <laughs> Oh, fine. I'll get in. Now, we'll just... Uh Uh-oh. I seem to be jammed in between two cars here. Oh, it is pretty tight. Bumper to bumper. Now, I just have to start my motor and push the car in front of me a bit. (laughs) Why do people persist in leaving their cars in gear? You've got enough room now, Mr. Boynton. You can stop pushing the car in front of you. I have stopped. That car's rolling by itself. Miss Brooks, what'll I do? Well, there's nothing you can do. Maybe it'll stop by itself. (laughs) Well, that's the first time I've been right today. Come on. Oh, look at that fender, crumpled like an accordion. Now, let's see who the car belongs to. Miss Brooks, can you see the certificate on the steering wheel? Quite clearly, Mr. Boynton. It says, and I quote, Osgood Conklin. <laughs> Osgood Conklin? Well, I, I guess I'll have to face the music. You, you wait right here, Miss Brooks. I'm going in and report this to Mr. Conklin. Well, that's a fine insurance company you're with, Gibbons. I'm sorry, Mr. Conklin, but our inspector looked at the fender this morning, and he says the dent can be hammered out for about $40. But I don't want it hammered out. I want a new fender. What am I paying insurance premiums for? Sorry, Mr. Conklin, a new fender would cost over $150, and the dent you have doesn't justify it. Since your policy is a $50 deductible, you'll have to stand the expense yourself. Bye. Uh, but, Mr. Gibbons, I... Mr. Gibbons, I... Mr. Gibbons, Mr... He hung up on me. Well, of all the colossal nerves. Oh, pardon me, sir. What do you want, Poynton? I, uh, I wish to report an accident, sir, an automobile accident. Automobile accident? Anybody hurt? Not yet. <laughs> you see, sir, uh, uh, it was your car. My car? Yes, sir. You had me locked in at the curb, and I had to give it a little push, and the brake wasn't on, and, well, it, it didn't stop till it hit a tree. A tree? What happened to it? Oh, nothing happened to the tree, Mr. Conklin. <laughs> but your, your fender, it's, uh, it's just... Smashed up pretty good, Boynton? Mangled. Really wrecked, eh? <laughs> oh, Boynton, that's wonderful. <laughs> wonderful? You mean, you mean you're happy about it? Well, of course. I'll show that insurance company that... Oh, wait a minute. That fender couldn't be hammered out, could it? Oh, definitely not. And a boy, boy! <laughs> oh, I won't forget this, my boy. You've done me a real turn. Don't you see? I had a little dent in the fender, but the insurance company wouldn't replace it. But now they'll have to. Do you hear me? They'll have to. <laughs> Wait. 
Mr. Conklin, you're barking at the wrong tree. I mean, I alone am responsible for what just happened to your car. You? But Mr. Boynton's... Never mind what Mr. Boynton said. Uh, Now, see here, Miss Brooks. There's no necessity for you to go... Ixnay, Mr. Boynton, I'll handle this. No, Mr. Conklin, I know you're angry at me as it is, but I cannot let an innocent person try to shield me. You can go now, Mr. Boynton. Leave here a free man. But, Miss Brooks... You can thank me some other time. Tonight, say. (laughs) But I, I, I don't understand. Why are you trying to take credit for this, Boynton? Credit? Credit? Look, Mr. Conklin, I don't understand a lot of things that have happened here today, so if you'll excuse me, I'll take Miss Brooks' suggestion and then leave here a free man. But, Mr. Boynton, I don't... Now, what's the matter with him? What difference does it make who did what as long as I'm pleased? Miss Brooks, you have no idea what you've just done for me. You're so right. And you, Mr. Conklin, have no idea what I have just done to me. But I told you I'm not angry. Why are you still up a tree? If an English teacher may correct a principle, Mr. Conklin, it isn't a tree that I'm up. What I'm up, and without a paddle, is a creek. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, I corralled Mr. Boynton before he got into his car again and explained that I thought he was in trouble and was merely coming to his rescue. Well, I'm afraid I don't approve such heroics, Miss Brooks. You see, I've always liked to stand on my own two feet. It's a trait I inherited from my father. Really? Yes, Miss Brooks. I've gotten where I am today without the help of any woman. I'm rather proud of that, and so is my father. Mr. Boynton, could I have his address? His address? What for, Miss Brooks? I want to send your father a card on Mother's Day. <laughs> Next week, turn into another Our Miss Brooks show, brought to you by Mustard Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, Tuesday evening over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at the same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Sherlock Holmes, followed by Phil Harris and Alice Fay. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.